0: Good Friday is one of my favorite services because there is such depth in, uh, in what we sing. I want you to think with me for a moment. Back to a time you took a walk with someone, someone dear, you know, someone special, someone loved. Maybe it was a spouse, maybe it was a friend, maybe it was a parent, maybe it was a grandparent. Maybe it was a walk on a beach somewhere, maybe a walk just around the block uh, maybe a walk through Manitow Gardens. It's possible that you remember where you went. It's even possible that you remember what you talked about. But my guess is, even if you don't remember either of those things, you remember the intimacy of the moment. The intimacy of being there present with that other person. When I think of a walk like that, I think of uh, one particular walk Abby and I took while we were in Ireland and uh, Abby, if you're walking, uh, watching, you know exactly which walk that was. The sun was setting. It was, it was fantastic. I want you to capture that emotion. Just, just capture that sense, and we're going to come back to that. Over the last couple of Sundays, we've been looking at Jesus' last words while on the cross. So far, we've seen him speak words of relationship. He spoke to his mom, and then he spoke forgiveness to those that were around him. Last Sunday, we saw him speak words of humanity, crying out that he thirsted, and also the cry of abandonment. Tonight, we look at words of intimacy. If you have a Bible, and if you can see it, we purposely kept the lights down low, and we're going to keep them there. Go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 23. To set the scene, in the beginning in Luke 22, the disciple Judas agreed to betray Jesus. So, Jesus was subsequently arrested. He was denied by his best friend three times. He was put on trial and declared guilty. He was forced to carry the the crossbeam on his own. I actually was reading a book today that said that crossbeam could have been upwards of 150 pounds. Carried it by himself up to the hill. And on that long and torturous walk to Golgotha, there were insults and blasphemous statements being hurled at him from the left and to the right over and over again. In Luke's gospel, we are told that Jesus was not going to be the only one crucified that day. Luke chapter 22, 23, verse 32 and 33. Two, other, two others, both criminals were let out to be executed with him. When they came to the place called the Skull, they nailed him to the cross, and the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Now right after that passage, if you kept reading, you'd see that this is where Jesus offered forgiveness to those that were around him. And then in the the following verses after that, there's continued mocking. There's there's more blasphemous harassment going on. And then we get to our text for this evening. Verses 39 to 43. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said... Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, we could preach a thousand different sermons from this text. Some of you might have heard close to that amount. That's not an age comment. Um, I could talk about the first criminal. Right? who joins in the mocking crowds and, and blaspheming Jesus, and yet there was still that moment of selfishness where he's like, well, get yourself off, but save us too while you're at it. I could talk about the second criminal's declaration of Jesus' innocence. This man hasn't done anything wrong, he said. This was the sixth time, sixth time in this chapter alone that Jesus was declared innocent. A couple times by... Uh, Pilate, time by Herod Antipas, and now this second criminal. I can speak about the irony that's going on right here because crowds saw Jesus raise people from the dead and did not believe in him. And yet this other criminal is watching Jesus die and does believe. Many pastors will talk about this deathbed confession that goes on right here. Right? The, the criminal expressed his own guilt. It would say he confessed his sins. He put himself in submission to Jesus. He admitted who Jesus was, a king. And though the text doesn't say it, people would say, well, he asked Jesus into his heart. Well, he asked Jesus to remember him. That's just four out of the thousand sermons that could be preached from this text. Tonight, I want to go a different direction. And I want to share the intimacy that I see in this text. Intimacy starts in Verse 42 then he this is the second criminal then he said jesus remember me when you come into your kingdom you notice what the the criminal calls this guy on the cross in the middle he calls him jesus calls him by his given name not son of god not son of man not son of david not you know not most glorious holy person next to me on the cross he simply calls jesus Jesus. And we're not told how this man knew his name. You've got to wonder, were there introductions before the crucifixion took place? I'm kind of twisted, so I thought this past week, did the the Roman centurion play some sort of icebreaker game with the the three who were being crucified before they actually got crucified? Right? I I could hear him. Okay, fellas, the next couple of hours are going to be really, really hard. All right? You guys are going to go through something more difficult than you've ever gone through before, take a moment, introduce yourselves to each other, maybe share one of your highlights of your teenage years, just, you know, get to know each other, connect a bit, and when you're done, we'll nail you in and put the crosses up. Did this man know Jesus by his reputation? We don't know. But what we do know is that in the most painful moments of both of their lives, this man calls Jesus... By his birth name, by the name given to him by his mom and his earthly father. When someone knows your name and they call you by name, there's an intimacy in that. Back in verse 42, then the second criminal said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom I've got to wonder if this man had Jewish roots or if he was a Jew. Uh, Maybe if nothing else, he was familiar with the Hebrew Scriptures. Because the ask for God to remember comes up multiple times in the Hebrew Scriptures. You remember Samson, the, the strongman hero in the Old Testament. He asked God to remember him right before he pushed the pillars that ended up taking his life and the life of thousands of others. Judges 16, verse 28, Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me just one more time. After Hannah, the prophet Samuel's mom, had begged God to give her and her husband a child, the text says that the Lord remembered her plea. And King David in Psalm 115, verse 12 writes, The Lord remembers us and blesses us. Now, perhaps this ask by the second criminal for Jesus to remember him stemmed out of his knowledge of the Hebrew Scriptures. We don't know. But what we do know, because we have it here, is what the man asked for. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. This man recognized Jesus' kingship. Now, maybe it was due to the sign above Jesus' head that read, this is Jesus, King of the Jews. Or maybe he had spiritual eyes to see that everybody else around him didn't have. Whatever the case, the man asked Jesus to remember him when he came into his rule, into his kingdom. And I could imagine, you know, it was a longer conversation. And if it was, it would have been something like, Jesus, someday, when you are back as King, someday remember me. Allow me to be a part in your your kingdom. Allow me to play a role, a small role. You know what, Jesus? Even if it's not even a role, just allow me to be part of the place where you are king. Being part of your rule would be enough. I'm fine being a nobody as long as I'm a nobody in your kingdom. Jesus, remember me in your kingdom. I don't see this guy asking you to sit at Jesus' right hands like some of his disciples did. He was simply asking to be remembered. And even if just for a moment, this remembering was to be whenever, however far down the road it was going to take place before Jesus entered his kingdom as king, he wasn't asking for much. And he knows he doesn't even deserve what he was asking for. And I tell you what, Jesus could have shut that man down right then and there. He could have said to the guy, look, you didn't seek me out when I was down there. You didn't follow me. You weren't one of my initial 12 or the 72 were the first 500 to follow me. You know what? You deserve to be up here. Jesus could have shut him down, but he didn't. He responded. And he responded in just as intimate a way as the man calling him by his first name. Verse 43. And here's where Jesus' is saying on the cross is... Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today you will be with me in paradise. Now, it may be evident where the intimacy is, or maybe you're sitting there wondering where it is. Maybe you've always just heard this passage taught as this guy just got his ticket stamped into heaven. You know, he was all he was good then. Even if Jesus didn't think about him anymore, he was, he was good. You may have heard this verse and always had the emphasis, the emphasis placed on the word today. And I can't tell you how many memorials I've done where I've comforted families saying, your loved one is already in heaven. And I use this passage as encouragement for them. Man, Jesus assures the man of the immediacy of what's going to be taking place. There's hope in that. There's assurance in that focus. And yet, that's not where I see the intimacy I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. With me in paradise. In paradise. According to William Barclay, who writes commentaries, the word paradise that's used in this text is a Persian word meaning a walled garden. And when a Persian king wished to do one of his subjects a very special honor, he made him a companion in the garden. He was chosen to walk in the garden with the king. Okay, think back to that intimate walk that we had you think of right at the beginning of this mini-message. Think of that. This walk in the garden would be a very personal, deeply intimate time between the king and the subject, a time of uninterrupted attention. A time of focused dialogue, a time of laughter, a time of comfort, a time of tears, a time that not everyone in the Persian king's kingdom got to have. And when Jesus told the man, today you'll be with me in paradise, it's likely that this guy knew that meaning. Jesus wasn't just promising immortality. He wasn't just saying, here's your ticket to the floating clouds up in the skies." Jesus was promising an honored place of companionship in the garden with Jesus. This was so much more than you're welcome in my kingdom, you with millions and millions of others, and maybe I'll see you, maybe I'll wave, maybe I'll nod, but you said the right things right before you died, so you're good. no. Jesus looked at this man and ultimately said, Brother, you will be with me, with me in deep, pure, intimate companionship today. You will walk with me and talk with me in the garden. Can you feel the weight lifting off of this man's shoulders? This man's shoulders who are burning with pain from the crucifixion. And yet in that moment, I imagine he didn't feel a thing. And you feel the peace, the intimacy in that moment. I tell you what, as I, as I learned this this past week, it made me appreciate even more a beloved hymn that we sing, so oftentimes at memorials. I'm going to invite Tim to come on up here and lead us in that song. Now, after we sing that song together, um, Jan is going to play a piece titled Gethsemane Sorrow that she wrote um, a while back, inspired by this good So We're looking at Jesus' last words from the cross tonight. Tonight we're sensing the, a deep and pure intimacy in those words. I'm actually glad we got some little people here. Um, because I want to ask you guys you, do you guys have like a, a family prayer that you pray the same prayer every night a no different prayer every night yeah okay not not the same is is the same sometimes not the same well see this generation of kids growing up they, they get a new prayer every night but uh Maybe for some of us, we grew up with the same prayer said every night. Or maybe we just had some prayers that we knew that we, that we said regularly. Because I bet if I started a couple, you guys, would, you guys would be able to finish them. Okay? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to to know the difference, okay? You know that one. What about this one? I think I printed up the next one. Maybe? Maybe? Yeah, there we go. Nope, not that one. But you know that one. We're not going to say that one quite yet. What about this? Lord in heaven, hear my prayer. Keep me in your loving care. Be my guide in all I do. Bless all those who love me too. You ever heard that one? Okay. Okay. We'll make sure that one gets on our website so that you can memorize it and say it to your kids and your grandkids, and uh, your kids will grow up knowing that one. Now, you know the next one, because we've already seen it on the screen. Now I lay me down to sleep. You can say it with me. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. You know there's more to that, right? If I should live for other days, I pray the Lord to guide my ways. Did you grow up praying that prayer? Anybody? Okay, thank you. There's a couple of you. 3, 4, that's good. Did you have a regular nighttime prayer that you guys prayed with your parents? Grandparents? Did you guys ever pray anywhere outside of church? <laughs> Your mom and dad ever tuck you in at night? An aunt, uncle, brother? Okay, thank you. Kyle, you had parents that tucked you in at night. That's good. You know, there are people who grow up having the same prayer said to them at night, every single night. And it's so good, so so peaceful, so much so that even as adults, if they just hear the beginning parts of that prayer, they're immediately transported back to that time where they're, like is doing to Tim, leaning on their parent. I have a fondness for the Lord's Prayer because my family would pray it together in the evenings, not every night, but oftentimes. So anytime it starts, you know, our Father which art in heaven, I'm immediately transported back to a very specific day on a beanbag in our single-wide trailer in Busby, Montana, and I remember vividly us as a family saying that prayer together. Now, these days, when I—I uh, I guess I don't tuck my kids in anymore because I go to bed an hour or two before they do, sometimes three hours. But I will go downstairs and say goodnight to them every night, and I'll pray with them. I say the same blessing every night. I think I've shared it before, but it starts off, Good night, my warriors of West Central, my men on mission, God's pictures of power, tanks of truth, gladiators of Glen Eden, muscles in me, dudes with dogs and heroes that go to sleep. There's, there's, there's purpose behind each of those, and they know and they've added on to it over the years, but I say that every single night to them. My hope is that one day... If they're off in college or maybe they're, they're grown up, they're married, they have their own kids, all I have to do is text the first couple of words. Good night, my warriors of West Central, dot, 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 And in their mind, in their heart, they're going to recite the rest of that prayer. The standard nighttime ritual. Many parents have this with their kids. Now, if you didn't, let's pretend that you did for just a moment. And let's, let's say this one together again. Now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. We're sticking with the Gospel of Luke as we continue with the last words of Jesus on the cross, and this evening we're seeing some words of deep intimacy. We're in Luke chapter 23, verse 44 to 46. By this time, it was about noon, and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain in the temple, in the sanctuary of the temple, was torn down the middle. Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. In the Gospel of Luke, these are the very last words of Jesus. Jesus. Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. Now, like the passage we looked at moments ago, we could go a thousand different directions with this passage. We could look at the darkness or the curtain tearing or we could look at the fact that Jesus shouted this. I want to spend a couple minutes looking at the intimacy that I see in this phrase. Most scholars believe that this phrase is a quote from Psalm 31 Um, you can just listen to it. The beginning parts of it says this. Oh Lord, I have come to you for protection. Don't let me be disgraced. Save me for what you do is right. Turn your ear to listen to me. Rescue me quickly. Be my rock of protection, a fortress where I will be safe. You are my rock and my fortress. For the honor of your name, lead me out of this danger. Pull me from the trap my enemies set for me, for I find protection in you alone. Verse 5, I entrust my spirit into your hand. Rescue me, Lord, for you are a faithful God. We're going to leave that last verse on there, verse 5, up on the screen. It's obvious that it's almost a direct match with what Jesus said in his final breath. Now there's a lot of scholars that will will not just focus on verse 5 of that, but look back at the the first four verses and they'll remind us of the fact that this this passage was from like a righteous suffering servant, someone who hadn't sinned, someone who who was calling out to God to save him, to rescue him, to be his rock, his fortress. The psalm was an expression of tremendous faith, faith in God's saving. So it makes sense that Jesus would Finish with this. If he's crying out for God to save him, to rescue him. But there's way more in this saying from Jesus on the cross than just, uh, God, here's my spirit, a relinquishing of life. There's a, a tremendous intimacy in these final words that we may not even recognize, we may not even know about. Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Or Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. Okay, Not a trick question. What did Jesus call God? Father. Okay, Father, this is a, a family term, a familial term. It's the same term that Jesus taught his disciples to call God when he taught them how to pray. Right, Luke chapter 11, they, they had gone out to pray and, uh, and his disciples found him and they said, Lord, teach us how to pray just like John taught his disciples. And, and Jesus said, this is how you should pray, Father, may your name be kept holy. It's the same word. Father was a term of endearment. I think we, we've heard this before. It was a term like daddy in today's language. And Father is the one word that's added to Psalm 31 verse 5. It's as if Jesus is saying, no, I I need more intimacy right now. I need some familiarity, some closeness in this moment. Jesus here is a grown man, having lived, having worked with his hands, having done tremendous ministry, having been recognized by many people as this amazing, this amazing miracle worker. In his final moments, Jesus still reverts back to being a kid, calling his father, dad. Many of you have called me before on my cell phone, and you may have gotten my voice message. I'm not screening my calls, but if you call me and yet I don't pick up, you get my voicemail. Now if you have, you get to hear a voice message from J.J when he was quite a bit younger. It says, "This is my dad's phone. He's the Pastor James. Please leave a message." If you haven't heard that go ahead and call me tonight I won't pick up okay so any calls between now and like to like Sunday morning I'm just not going to answer all right because oh my goodness this is actually how I know whether people know me or not because the people who leave a message and say oh yeah James your daughter left the sweetest message <laughs> I don't call them back I can't, the, the message has got to be like eight years old. I can't bring myself to change it because there is something so sweet, so powerful, so intimate in hearing your child call you dad. I still love hearing my boys call me dad. It's just more like, dad. <laughs> When's dinner, dad? Can I take the car, dad? I love that though. Hearing my sons call me Dad. So think about it. Jesus is there. Dad, I entrust my spirit to you. You feel that? The intimacy in that moment? There's more though that I actually didn't know about until this past week of study. There was a couple of commentators that said Psalm 31 verse 5 was the very first prayer that every jewish mom and dad would teach their kid and it was the prayer that every little boy and every little jewish girl would pray at night it was the equivalent of our modern day now i lay me down to sleep i pray the lord my soul to keep this is what they would say before going to bed i entrust my spirit into your hands This was the nighttime prayer that every little Jewish boy and Jewish girl would pray as they're leaning on their mom or dad, head on their lap, right before they would drift off to sleep. And I can't think of a more peaceful, secure place than being a kid on a parent's lap, praying the bedtime prayer, and now because you're in this safe space with dad or mom, you know, hand on your head, hand on your shoulder. They're safely and they effortlessly drift off to sleep. For those who are parents or grandparents, or maybe you have nieces, nephews, maybe you've babysat someone and you've had the joy of having a kid fall asleep on your lap, there really isn't any way words can, ex- can describe that. So now picture Jesus, right? Hanging on the cross. Going through this tremendous pain. This suffering. Having said all the things, the other five things we've looked at in the past couple of weeks. He is spent. He's tired. He's exhausted. He's done. So what does He do? The very thing He did every single night with his mom and dad. He prayed the nighttime prayer, gave control over to the Father to keep him safe, and he closed his eyes and drifted off. Was he still feeling abandoned like we talked about last this past Sunday? I don't know. Part of me doubts it because I think in that moment he was in this place of complete peace. And the text says, with these words, he breathed his last. Tim, I'm going to have you come on up. Elena as well. As I think about the turmoil, the questions, the uncertainty that the disciples may have felt in that moment, I am thankful to know that There was an intimacy that Jesus may have been experiencing with his daddy in that moment. Have you felt that with your father in heaven? I mean, even as we gather on a a day that I still struggle to call good, can you sense the intimacy of the moment? My prayer is that over the next couple of days, as we sit and reflect on the cross, as we sit and reflect on what Easter is going to mean for us this year, my prayer is that we will sense this intimacy that Jesus must have felt with his Father as he spoke his last words. Daddy, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And Father, we entrust ours into yours as well. We may not be breathing our last but we need this prayer of intimacy. And we're grateful that we can join with countless little boys and girls who over the the centuries have prayed this prayer. We entrust our spirit into your hands. And we do this in Jesus' name. Amen.